0: God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God tell you? <laughs> Well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident. And I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, said some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Recently, I completed my PhD in practical theology, focusing on the theology of hearing God's voice. It was a wonderful five-year-long journey of discovering and learning and a whole lot of reading. Since then, people have asked me about my thesis and what I learnt from it. As with all PhDs, it's a very long and sometimes complex read. So instead of you having to fossick through 80,000 words, I'm bringing you the highlights. Hi, and welcome to Episode 60 of the God Conversations Podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognise and respond to God's voice. Today on the show, we're looking at three surprising theological insights from my PhD on hearing God's voice. Well, those of you who know me will have heard me talk about my PhD in the last five years. I've been fitting study and research in between my ministry trips and speaking at churches and book writing and radio shows and all that sort of things But finally, it has been submitted. Now, it hasn't passed yet. We're still waiting for the feedback that comes in that process of revision. But the paper is largely done, and I'm super excited about it. It was a wonderful journey, a a real journey of discovery and of answering a lot of questions, questions I had way back when I was 21, and I first started the journey of hearing from God. In fact, I can clearly remember the questions I had then, and I would typically go and ask people, and not everyone could give me the answer, and I've been answering those questions through my own experience, through listening to people on the God Conversations Ministry journey, but now I had a chance to formally answer those questions in my PhD. And as I said, a number of people have been asking me, oh, we'd love to read it. And I would say, you really want to read it? (laughs) It's not that exciting. (laughs) Academics can be very technical. So what I thought I would do is to really try and summarize probably the three main things that came out of it. And some of those things are, are quite surprising. And I wanted to share them with you. But first of all, let me introduce you to the thesis itself. It belonged to the field of practical theology. In theology, there's lots of different branches. You can get systematic theology, historical theology, Trinitarian theology. There's a zillion different branches. But this branch particularly looks at how our theology works in practice, what it looks like on the ground. It's very interested in application. So it's moving very much away from theory, that whole idea of academia in an ivory tower, and bringing it down on the ground. In fact, the methodology uses a theorist by the name of Jeff Astley, and he talks about ordinary theology he says everyone is a theologian everyone has ideas about how god works and the way that that's worked out is through their experience they may not have been to seminary or to bible college they may not have studied a ministry degree but they've got a theology, which just means the study of God. And the whole basis of the thesis is bringing the ordinary theology of normal everyday Christians who had heard God's voice and bringing that into dialogue with the work of theologians and theorists and then comparing the differences and see, well, what can we learn from them? At a practical level, that involved doing a lot of one-on-one interviews. I think I interviewed up to 60 different people one-on-one and then I did a whole number of focus groups. And then I sort of zoomed out and looked at three different churches, three different Pentecostal churches in my home city and looked at what were the dynamics around those communities and, and how did they understand the hearing of God's voice? How did they practise it? What did what was their theology about it and how was that communicated and understood. And then the results of all that were put into an 80,000 word paper. So before I go into those three different things I learnt during the process, let me just define a few terms for you in good academic fashion. The first one is the whole idea of hearing God's voice. That sounds a little bit obvious, but when we talk about Hearing the Voice of the Spirit for the Purpose of this PhD, it was defined as the idea that you can receive new information, revelation from God. In fact, I use the phrase revelatory experiences a lot. And it's the idea that you can receive a message from God. It doesn't come from you. So it's quite different from my cognitive ability to reflect on something that's already been established. I receive information instead that's spontaneous, it's immediate. It's seen to come from a supernatural God. And therefore, because it's revelation and it's new, it could involve information I don't know. It could involve information that relates to the future or something beyond the natural realm, something that I can't see. It comes from God. And in the churches that I studied are from the Pentecostal tradition. And the Pentecostal tradition is probably best defined by an understanding that God works today in the same ways that he worked in the early church, that when the Spirit was given, the same dynamics that we see, for example, in the book of Acts and in the the rest of the New Testament can occur today. It may look slightly different because the context is different, but the Spirit is working in similar ways, working miracles and signs and wonders and speaking in the same way that he spoke to the early church. Now, this is different perhaps to some other Christian traditions. In fact, when you start to explore this a little bit more, you'll see that there's quite a few variations. Most Christian faiths or, or traditions believe in a revelatory God. We we actually have that basis that God shows himself to his people but there's going to be variation in how he does that in contemporary times. So I've just mentioned the Pentecostal tradition expects that God will speak in the same way as he speaks in the Bible. Others have a position where God doesn't speak that way anymore. He spoke that way in the first early years of the church, but once it was written in the Bible, he doesn't speak outside of the Bible anymore. Some people believe that. Others believe that God speaks now largely through things like sermons or Christian books or reflections on nature and he doesn't speak in dreams and visions or by his spirit in the same way as he spoke in the Bible. So that gives you a little bit of a background to see what we're working with. So let me take you through three surprising discoveries that stood out to me during the project. The first one was this. This area is hardly talked about in either the Protestant or the Pentecostal academic world. Can you believe that. In fact, when you start a research project like this, one of the first things you do is a literature review. And that means you read everything you possibly can on the topic across the traditions, across different cultures. You've got to search libraries and journals and books to find out what has already been said in order that you can take the conversation further. Now, there was some related material. For example, in the Pentecostal tradition, there's been quite a bit of work done on the gift of prophecy, which is when you hear God for another person. There's also been a lot of work on spiritual languages or the gift of tongues that comes when you're filled with the Spirit. There's also been a lot of work on spiritual languages or tongues as one of the gifts that's made possible when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's also been work in the area of hermeneutics, which is how our spirit experiences influence our reading of the Bible. But there's very little on the experience of hearing God's voice directly that everyone can access through the spirit's outpouring from the day of Pentecost. Now, this was surprising to me because there was so little written in this area. In fact, I really struggled to find theologians that I could use in my project. It probably took me three years before I found some theorists that I could use. And my background is the Protestant tradition. In fact, I go to a Pentecostal church, but it's, it's now very much part of the Protestant tradition. And as I started to look into that, I realised that the Protestant tradition formed in the early 1500s through the work of the reformers, particularly people like Martin Luther and John Calvin. You may have heard those names before. But when those reformers came along, the church was in a very sorry state. It was very corrupt. It was greedy. It was hungry for power. And there were lots of wrong things that were being taught, you know, just... When we read it back now, it's quite horrendous. There were often campaigns to raise money, for example, and if the peasants gave over their money, they were told that they would release their relatives from purgatory or they would get out of the torments of hell if they handed over their money. So the church was in a very sorry state and Martin Luther was on his own journey for freedom he was trying to work out how to obtain the peace of salvation. And he'd tried all the things he'd been taught. He he tried to do all the practices of religion. He tried to, you know, go on a pilgrimage to Rome and pray the right amount and, and try to confess his sin and and he was just loaded up with so much, uh, so much of a burden of his sin and he couldn't find freedom. And when he started to read the Bible in its original languages, he began to get a revelation that God's gift of salvation is through grace and trust and faith. It didn't come from a pronouncement from the, from the church as much as a decision of the heart. And so the Reformation was born when he started to publish those ideas. But he faced a big problem. And the problem was that the ideas of the church were different to Martin Luther's and it began a bit of a showdown between who was right. Was a knowledge of the Bible the thing that made Martin Luther right or was it years of tradition of church teaching that made them right? And, of course, the Catholic Church had other forms of evidence or ways of proving their position as well. And one of those ways was miracles. And so they had things like, you know, a statue of of Mary with weeping with real tears and they used the claim of spiritual experience to back up their position as a result of that the debate was about issues of justification and grace and faith but underneath that debate was the bigger issue of how do we know who is right and in response to that Luther and others like him began to reject The voice of the Spirit and spiritual experiences, and say, No, the only way that you can know truth is through studying the Bible. And so, what you often get in the Protestant tradition is a rejection of the Spirit speaking outside of the Bible and the result of that is often in the Protestant Academy that there's actually not a lot of work done in this area. Now, throughout history, there's been plenty of times where God has spoken in the church and there's actually plenty of stories like that told through movements like the Anabaptists and the Quakers and the American Revivalists and Wesley and Whitfield and all these wonderful characters that have brought life to the church. But in the academy, there's a real neglect there. In the end, I found that the the theology of our experience related more to the Catholic tradition, that the Catholic tradition has always believed in the Spirit speaking and that the theorists that most suited our experience came from that tradition. So that was a big surprise for me. But then I began to reflect on why this neglect In the academy, why this neglect amongst theologians? I first saw it as an undergraduate looking through the library. I remember having these questions, and I'd see two different groups of books. One was written by the theologians, and one was written by the practitioners. And the practitioners seemed to have all these great experiences, but they didn't have the theology to ground them. Where the theologians were the reverse. They didn't always have the experience, but they had the theory. And so what I wanted to do was to bring those two aspects together. Our theology should work in practice. And sometimes we theorize about things that we haven't experienced. But I wanted to bring these two things together in the same way that the Scriptures does because so much of the Scriptures are based on the Holy Spirit speaking, on revelation that comes from God. Even in First Corinthians, we read about this. Paul talks about the Spirit revealing to us things that can't be known by human wisdom, but in words of the Spirit, spiritual truths in spiritual words. So that was my first surprising insight The second insight was this, what role hearing God's voice has in the new covenant and discipleship? I remember when I first started the God Conversations Ministry and someone said to me, they said, oh, isn't that a bit of a narrow area? Like, won't you run out of things to say? (laughs) Like, Hearing God's voice is just one of many spiritual disciplines that we have. It's, it's kind of like one of the extras on the side. Well, the thing that I realised more and more clearly as I studied my, my work is that hearing from God is the central priority of the new covenant and finds its place most clearly within discipleship. So when Jesus said To his disciples, my people recognize my voice and they follow. He was describing the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And that when he left the earth and he poured out his spirit on all people, that the central part of the new covenant, when the apostle Peter stood up to all of that crowd assembled that day, and he said these words, this is what has been promised, that when the spirit's poured out, that young men and old men will have visions and dreams and sons and daughters will prophesy. He was saying that now everyone can hear God's voice, in the same way that the old covenant prophets could hear God's voice. This is the key distinctive of the entire new covenant. In fact, if you go back to the old covenant, you'll see that the way that God revealed himself to his people time and time again was through speaking. But under the old covenant, hearing his voice was limited to the prophets. But now when the Spirit has been poured out, it's for everybody. And that means that as a Christian, the way that I know God, the way that I grow, the way that I follow Jesus is first and foremost is to hear his ongoing voice, the voice of the Spirit, and then choose to follow. This is the way to know God. Now, you may be listening to this thinking, uh, but what about all the other spiritual disciplines? It's an important question because they're essential too. You can't know, for example, what God's voice sounds like if you don't know what God is like. And the way to know what God is like is to read the Bible and to learn from other people listening to sermons, reading Christian books. We need to be in relationship with other people who also know God. Hearing from God apart from the Scriptures doesn't undermine the Scriptures. In fact, it reinforces their importance. It's the scriptures themselves that tell us about hearing from God. The scriptures are crucial because they point us to Jesus. As 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, They make us wise for salvation in Christ. They're God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says. They are the true and reliable record of the gospel story. All our hearing from God is anchored in that story. In fact, there's an interesting scene that you may have read. It's in Luke chapter 24. It occurs just after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus is walking along the road and he's talking with two disciples and they're on the way to Emmaus. The the disciples themselves are confused about all the events that have taken place and they have this conversation with Jesus and he begins to explain, he says this, that all the scriptures point to him in verse 27. The Bible points us to the living word, Jesus. So reading the Bible and going to church are an essential part of the Christian life. It's not like hearing from the Spirit and obeying God cancels out the other. However, it does put things in perspective. For example, you can go to church every week of your life and remain a baby Christian. You can read your Bible from cover to cover a 100 times a year. You can recite the creeds and sing the songs. You could even do a PhD in practical theology and still not know God personally. Being a Christian at its core means to follow Jesus. The essence of what grows me as a Christian is followership, listening to what Holy Spirit says, recognizing it and responding to it. All of the other aspects of being a Christian are are good, you know, going to church and, and even reading my Bible and, and praying, these are all good things. But the essence of what grows me as a Christian is followership, what the Spirit says, recognising it and responding to it. Now that has some significant implications for the church. If Jesus said in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the good news and make disciples. Well, how do we do that? Well, the big difference is that as leaders and pastors, how we do that is we cooperate with what the Spirit's already doing. We help people to listen to the Spirit, we help them recognise it, and then we encourage them to follow. This makes disciples of Jesus rather than disciples of pastors. We facilitate that process. We allow people to draw closer to God. We wean them off ourselves. It makes the role of the church central, but it doesn't make the church replace Jesus. So when I think about discipling someone, I need to be asking these questions. What is the Spirit saying to you? Why do you think it's God? And how can I help You follow the key questions of discipleship. It's not telling people what to do because we don't need to do that because they're following Jesus. They're not following us. And what that means is that our churches need to become places where those conversations are had in healthy and safe ways, that we begin to develop relationships that allow those kind of conversations Because those kind of conversations require a level of vulnerability, don't they? When the Spirit speaks to me, He speaks about the issues of my heart. He speaks about my hopes and my dreams and my desires and my failures and my weaknesses. He speaks to transform me from the inside out. And therefore, as I do the journey of discipleship, I need others alongside of me to help me test those experiences to help me sort through the different voices I hear and then to encourage me to follow so that I can be more like Jesus, so that I can participate in his mission, so that I can be a vehicle for what he's doing in the world. I'm going to share the last insight with you straight after the break. God promises to speak to us, but how do we know it's Him? The ability to hear God's voice is part of our inheritance as followers of Jesus. His words have the power to transform us, to guide us into His purpose and give us wisdom for our everyday lives. Now you can learn how to hear God's voice for yourself through our six-week online course at GodConversations.com. You can start at any time. Just sign up from the comfort of your own home or join with a group to learn what God's voice sounds like, His nature as a communicator, and how to recognize His voice among the many that we hear. The e-course includes eight high-quality video presentations, downloadable study guides, Interaction on discussion boards and access to bonus resources from God Conversations. It's fantastic value and has the potential to change your life. Jesus promised we would know his voice such that we could follow it. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Register now at godconversations.com forward slash Welcome back to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. We're talking about three surprising theological insights from my PhD. Well, here we go. Here's the third one. This one might be more of the complex one. The third one is this, the unnecessary conflict between the role of the Scriptures and the Spirit. I first realised this conflict growing up in a church where we believed that God had stopped talking once the Bible was finished. We believed that God no longer spoke outside of the Bible. And the reason we did that was because of this conflict. It's an issue of authority. So if I claim God spoke to me, that's actually a claim to authority. I'm saying God's telling me to do something, so I need to do it. Well, the problem with that claim is that it puts authority of my experience on the same level as the authority of the Bible. And the position that my church took was that the Bible is unique, that there's nothing else like it, that it is authoritative, it is the foundation of Christianity. And if I start making claims of God saying other things, well, then I'm threatening the role of the Bible. It's an important concern because our scriptures were given to us because they carry the story of salvation history, the ultimate place of Jesus, the gospel. The scriptures have the answers to our questions about faith and truth. So how do we reconcile this conflict? Well, The conflict is brought about by the question of where authority lies. I want to explain this point by starting from another position. When I first started teaching people about how we know if something is from God, the first thing I would say is we test it against the Scriptures, don't we? We want to know that what we're hearing is consistent with what God has already said. But then I realised when we say that we test it against the Scriptures, we don't really mean that. What we mean is we test it against the character and nature of God that's revealed for us in the Scriptures. I know that because no one has come up to me and said, God told me to commit genocide, Deuteronomy 7, or God told me to marry a prostitute, Hosea 1, or God told me to divorce my marriage partner because they're from a different race than I am, Ezra chapter 10. That's not what we mean. What we mean is when we say test it against the scriptures, we're testing it against the character and nature of God most fully seen in Jesus, the living word, because the word of the Spirit Is consistent with the word that came down in the flesh. The word of the Spirit is consistent with everything that Jesus said when he was on earth. But not only that, but everything he did. He embodied God's heart. He embodied God's character. When he healed the sick, that was a message from God. When he lifted up the poor, that was a message from God. When he welcomed the sinner, that was a message from God. So Jesus Is the word. And Jesus spoke the word long before it was ever written down. (laughs) The same thing is true in the Old Testament. The Spirit spoke the word before it was enshrined in the scriptures. Divine authority comes from God, who is above the scriptures. That means that the same God that inspired the scriptures is the same God that inspires us today. There's going to be consistency. There's no competition between what God says to me now and what he's already said. But that's only possible when I recognise that authority first and foremost lies in God alone. I remember reading a wonderful story about a young woman. She was a Muslim. Her name was Aisha, and she was going on her pilgrimage to Mecca pilgrimage to Mecca is one of the five pillars of Islam. It's one of the the practices that every good Muslim tries to do in their lifetime in order to live a good religious life. Aisha was on her pilgrimage on the third day, having participated in some of the rituals of the day, and she was lying in her tent late at night and falling asleep. And as she lay there, she began to dream, and she saw an image Come into her tent It was the figure of a man. He was dressed in white robes. His eyes were blazing, and she felt this overwhelming sense of pure love. She looked behind the tent flap to see how did he get in and realize that it was closed. At first, she was fearful. "Who is this man?" But then instantly, she knew that it was Jesus. And she had a strong sense that he was saying, follow me. Aisha became a Christian that day. Now, the interesting thing about that story is that no Christian is allowed to go into Mecca. You have to have Muslim on your passport to get in. There is no church in Mecca. And more than that, there are no Bibles allowed in either. The Bible can't go in, the church can't go in, but the Spirit can go in. The Spirit still speaks with authority. The Spirit's not contained in the Bible. Why? Because God is above the Bible. God spoke his word before it was written. That means that there is no conflict between the two. His Spirit speaking today will be consistent with what He's already said. And that's a powerful truth to recognise that the Word of God first and foremost belongs to God. And this helps us to understand the place of hearing from the Spirit. And what it means is that we can still hear from the Spirit in the same way that the people in the Bible did And there's no conflict with authority because it's going to be consistent. I'm still going to be able to hear from God in the same way. You may have heard something of that idea about rhema and logos, this idea that there's two types of words. The rhema is the spoken word. The logos is the written word. Unfortunately, that system doesn't work because the word was always spoken. And in fact, in the first century early church, the Greco-Roman world, the spoken word held a lot more authority than the written word. It was not a textual society. It was an oral society. Today, it doesn't work like that. So today, if you want to know that something's authoritative, you get it in writing when you, when you try to establish something in a court, you can't just say, oh, this person told me. They're going to ask you for the contract, for the signature, and make sure it's authentic and is it dated. We have a lot more authority in the written word today than the spoken, but it wasn't like that back in the first century. That means that every time you read the word word in the New Testament, it refers primarily to the spoken word that was first embodied in in Jesus, the person of God, and then continued by the Holy Spirit. This understanding of God's word has some implications. What it means is that when I choose to follow Jesus, the way that I grow as a Christian is not limited by academic study of the Bible. The way that I grow as a Christian is by listening to the voice of a person. It's going to be consistent with what the Scriptures say. But it means that even if I don't have the scriptures, if I'm in prison, if I'm in Mecca, if I'm an illiterate person in a little village in Africa and I can't read, I can still hear from God. I can still follow Jesus. I can still gain spiritual truths in spiritual words, the depths of God, because the spirit has been given to all sons and daughters, young and old. Now, that doesn't mean that studying the Bible is not good. It's not important. And in fact, we love to study the truth of the Bible. It's going to enhance our relationship with God. But it also means that academic knowledge of the Bible is not what grows us up. In fact, when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, the the church leaders, the experts of the day, in John chapter 5, he said that you study the scriptures because by them you think that you know me but you've never heard my voice, you've never seen me, you don't know me, I'm the person who's standing before you. You're looking for answers through study and you're not going to find them because revelation, spiritual growth comes from the spirit, not from the mind. It doesn't depend on how smart you are or how much you know or whether you've been to theological college It means that you need to listen to what I'm saying. I often describe it like this. It's the difference between knowing someone like the Queen of England through the pages of a magazine and having a cup of tea with her. (laughs) See, you can read all about the Queen through the pages of a magazine, you can find out about her likes and her dislikes, you can you can see her favourite colour, you can see how she loves corgis, you can read some of the things she says in the Queen's speech at the end of the year. But unless you sit down and have a conversation with her, you don't know her personally. You know about her, but you don't know her. The difference is experiential knowledge compared to cerebral knowledge. Academics call it epistemology, how we know something is true. Now, there's an important caveat here. If we say that we can hear from the Holy Spirit in the same way that the biblical characters did, we also need to understand that we need to test our experiences in the same way that the biblical characters did. See, we can get all excited about the possibility of hearing the voice of God, but we must remember that we have to test it and test what we're hearing in rigorous ways, just as the Bible characters did. This whole area is incredibly important because when we get this wrong, we can get everything wrong and you only need to look at church history to see the whole raft of mistakes that people have made. There's a confidence, yes, I can hear the voice of God, but there's a humility, I can also get it wrong. And now that's a whole other topic for another podcast, but it's important at this point to remember that we need to test everything we hear. Jesus said that we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said that this word of God is living and active. The Spirit is speaking to each one of us, sons and daughters, young and old. He's speaking his word of truth to each one of our situations, taking from the foundation of the living Word of God, Jesus, and applying it to our lives. It's going to be consistent. The Word of God isn't divided. But that same authority of the living God that the disciples experienced, that they saw tangibly in the midst of their everyday lives, is available to us today. And there's no conflict with the Spirit and the Scriptures because the God above all inspired both. God inspired the people in the Bible. The scriptures give us a reliable witness to everything they said and everything they did. But the same spirit that inspired them continues to inspire us today. The Apostle Peter said that this spirit has been poured out on all. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar Off. That's you and I today. That's the message of my PhD. I think that's why I got so excited as I was writing it because I know that the Spirit of God has been given to each one of us to call us to follow Jesus, to call us to be transformed, to call us to partner with Him in His promise and His plans on the earth so that we can see His miraculous working power unfold and so that we may know Him personally. What an incredible privilege we have. If you want to know more about this topic, I encourage you to jump onto godconversations.com. There's lots of insights and blogs and articles and videos that will help you understand it further. But I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I continue to pray that you'll experience the voice of the Spirit in your own life. We'll see you next time. Great to have you on the show today. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review so others can learn to hear God's voice too.